Is today to the day? Is it the day that you believe something's different with Jesus? Right? The whole week you felt your heart fluctuate, so now you're saying, today's the day. It's another Sunday. It's come here. He's going to be different this time. No, he's not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that mercy that your heart feels like is far from you is new every single morning. And the love of God is not based on anything we've done or haven't done. It's based on his sovereign choice of you. He's chosen to love you in spite of you, right? And he wants you to feel that mercy and grace wash upon you as the waves of the shore that are constantly hitting it and they never end. Grace upon grace, John tells us, always on you because Jesus never changes. Let's pray. Father, God, we lift our eyes to the one who has done everything that we could not to die the death that we deserve, to be obedient to the mission that you gave him to do all the way to the very end, to appease your anger and his death on our behalf. And to be risen from the dead and ascend and sit at your right hand and make intercession constantly for us because he knows we need it. God, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive truth, that you'd grow us, you'd sanctify us, you'd encourage anyone here that feels far away, that you'd remind them that if they draw near to you, you will draw near to them, that you will never turn your face away, anyone seeking you. You will open the door to the one who's knocking. That God, you never leave us or forsake us. And you leave the 99 and you seek after the one. God, you love us beyond anything we could ever comprehend. The enemy wants us to forget that and to think otherwise. So push through all the weeds, everything that distracts us. And help us to see your wonderful, awesome, sovereign, powerful love for us. Here in this moment today. We pray it in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. All right, kids, you are dismissed. Have a good time at Summit Kids, always sprinting out. And then for the rest of you who are in here, if you would open your Bibles to John 17. John chapter 17, we're going to be in verses 6 through 19. We got a lot of verses to cover today, so we have to move along. All right, we went through real peace. We saw Jesus' words to his disciples. As he's approaching his time when he's going to be arrested and betrayed. And in John 17, before they go over to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus lifts his eyes and he prays. Last week we saw his prayer in the first five verses for himself. As he was praying that God would glorify him. And as he was anticipating being back with his father in heaven, being gone for 30 something years, now knowing that his time approaching where he's going to be able to leave earth and be back in the place that is wonderful to be. It's so wonderful to be there that he was excited for it. And that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and all that came with that because he knew what he was going to secure. Today, we're going to see it shift. He goes from praying from him for himself. And we saw the example of his, his obedience and his faithfulness and his, his, uh, his mission that he was dedicated to last week. Today, we're going to see him shift and pray for his immediate disciples, for the 11. 
And in extension, he's going to begin to pray for all the disciples of the world that would ever come. In these verses, he prays specifically for his 11. So, but before anything else, I want to tell you today what I want us to walk away with, what I want us to see in this passage. You're going to see it up on the screen. This, here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping, here it is, the next, the next screen is going to show it. As Jesus prays for his disciples, we will see just how much, just how much he loves us and how much we need him. But there's one other thing. Also this, also how secure we are in him. Now, I want to tell you a little story. Some of you know this story. We'll go back to 2020, 2020, that faithful year where nothing happened and it was a boring year. May of 2020, I was welled up with the uttermost guy pride that I could have ever experienced. And I said, I am going to do, if you've heard of it, the Murph Challenge. Anybody heard of it? Murph Challenge, it happens in May on Memorial Day in honor of the Marine. I believe he was a Marine. And this was a workout that he did. And here's what you have to do. You have to run a mile. And then you have to do, uh, I think it's uh, 100 pull-ups. You have to do 200 uh, push-ups and 300 squats. And you got to run another mile, right? Very easy. I was totally out of shape. But I was like, I'm going to, I don't care how hard it is, I'm going to push myself with all the, the uh, extent of strength that I have and I'm gonna do this. And so the time came, I woke up that morning, I drank nothing, I ate nothing but a spoonful of peanut butter thinking that would help. Uh, it was the hottest day of that year yet, so I ran the mile and I was with uh, my neighbor, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan, if you're listening, uh, you know this day very well. Uh, and we did the mile and we began doing the workout and I am suffering halfway through it. I'm suffering, but I'm pushing, I'm pushing to the very end, right? Because I'm also doing the workout with a Marine. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show him. I can push myself to the very end. Die for the brothers. Well, I pushed myself, which led to me almost passing out, barely able to finish the mile, laying on the side of the road on 17th Street, just like hoping cars don't stop to try to help me because I'm like super embarrassed. And then, and then the next day came along, woke up, and my arms were stuck like this. The next day came, and my arms are still stuck like this. I even, you can, you can go back and find one of the sermons we preached when we were recording and I'm preaching the whole sermon like this, like trying to just hide that I can't move my arms. So I do what any normal person would do. I begin to Google my symptoms because I'm like, something is wrong with me. And I, I, I come across immediately as I type in my symptoms, this term that I'd never heard before, rhabdomyalysis. I'm like, what is this, a dinosaur? That sounds exactly what I have because I, I literally am in the worst pain of my life. My muscles are seized and I can't move it. I should probably go get this checked because I found out it's so severe it can cause your, your liver and your kidneys to shut down and fail. So I'm like, you know, just be safe and go to the doctor. The doctor gives me, tests my blood, finds out whatever they're looking for, whatever the protein is in the, the muscles that have been crushed because this is the, the thing that happens to people who have car accidents and their muscles get crushed and this happens or older people who fall and destroy muscles and this happens, right? Like maybe this has happened to me and sure enough, yeah, you have it. And that led to a five-day stint in the hospital where they're trying to keep my kidneys functioning. 
And this is during the time where I'm like five days in the hospital. They're like, we can't get your levels to come down. Next day, maybe it'll be better. They stay, it's beyond what our uh, uh, machines can do. Your liver doesn't look too good, but your kidneys are still functioning. We're gonna keep, keep you on this, right? Five days in the hospital, looking out, waving at my kids during 2020 because they can't come in and see me. And I'll tell you what, it was a pretty hard time. And I felt pretty embarrassed. And I was pretty humiliated by the fact that now I've taken myself away from my family and I'm facing organ failure because I decided I'm gonna put as much effort I can into accomplishing something. Do you know, here's where I wanna bring this around to, and I hope you'll see what this has to do with Jesus' prayer today. We treat our Christian journey like this, like somehow everything that we could ever love and hope for is on the line and it's up, for, up to us to exert ourselves to do a mission and accomplish stuff and to resist and to live to the uttermost in a way that we absolutely cannot, no matter how much effort we push in. And so every night, every day, we feel this utter uh, sense of weight on our shoulders, like we have to keep our salvation and our security with God through our own efforts. We're gonna look in John 17, and we're going to see Jesus pray for his disciples. And it's going to show us just how much God loves us, just how much we are dependent on him, we need him, but also this, just how eternally secure we all who are his are in him, very secure. So John 17, verse six through 19, I wanna read it real quick and then we're gonna jump into it. Jesus shifts, he begins to pray for his disciple. He says this, verse six, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me, I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now look really quick. We're not gonna be in verse 20. Verse 20 is next week, but I do want you to notice this. He says this, I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's how we know he's talking immediately about the 11, but he's also going to include the rest of us in this prayer. 
So today, we're going to see Jesus praying for his disciples, and three things I want, I want to just kind of outline to draw out of it, and then we'll look at it, and you'll see it on the screen, this. Jesus first identifies who his disciples are, first six, uh, six through ten. He's going to identify who he's talking about, who he's praying for. Then he's going to pray specifically for their preservation, and then he's going to pray for their sanctification. Let's, let's start with the first one. He identifies them, verse 6. He says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. He identifies them as those whom the father has been manifested. Who are these disciples that he is very specifically praying for? He right off the bat, praying to the father, says, I have manifested your name, father, to them. And to who? to those whom were yours that you've given me. We'll, we'll go to that here in just a second, but let's focus on the word manifested. Manifested means to reveal or to make known. Jesus' ultimate mission was to come into earth to be a human like us, but make known the Father, to manifest him in the fullness. And now we see Jesus speaking things like this. If you've seen me, who have you seen? You've seen the Father. The scripture tells us that no one at any time has seen the father. Earlier, what did the disciples say in their confusion, still kind of lacking in their understanding? Jesus, show us the father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus says, have I not, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Guess what? If Jesus was there and he's like, okay, you want to see the father? He's right behind this door. If he opened the door to show you the father, guess who you would see on the other side? Guess who you would see? Jesus would just disappear and he'd be like, here I am. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the express image of his glory. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. No man at any time has seen the Father, but to see Jesus and to know Jesus is synonymous and the same thing as knowing the Father because they are one. And Jesus came to earth to manifest him and to make him known. And he reveals that he has manifested the Father to these disciples. Disciples are those, those who follow God, who are true disciples, are those who have had God manifested to them. And it's in the image and the word and the incarnation and the person of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, you follow him, you believe his word, then you can be sure that you know the Father. The Father has been revealed to you by the Spirit through the word of God as you've heard it and believed. And we're gonna see all that mixed together in here as he identifies them. He's speaking to those that belong to the Father, that have belonged to God since the foundation of the world. For all of time, those who have been his, these are the disciples he's praying for. He says this, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now this is, this is where John 17 gets so deep and only have so much time to go into it. Jesus is revealing something unique about his disciples, but also about us who are disciples as well, that there has been this unique possession of God on your life before you were even born. And you belong to the father, but the father gives you to who? to Jesus. The father gifts you and has gifted the disciples to Jesus. And Jesus says, I've manifested your name and you've given them to me. 
Peter tells us, first Peter tells us that, that we are a prized possession of God, a chosen race, a people for his own possession and the sovereignty of God for all those God knows we don't know, but God knows all that are his and this This doctrine and this theology that's coming out of the prayer of Jesus is this realization that Jesus has come into the world to secure the people that God has prepared beforehand that would be his. And he's gifting all of these people to Jesus, his son, whom he loves and has exalted above every name. And Jesus is praying for his disciples. The disciples are also those, though, that have kept, that have received and have believed in Jesus' words. Very key. He he says this, now they know that everything that you've given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. He identifies his disciples, those who have had the Father manifested to them, those who already belong to the Father, but very specifically the way it shows up that they are disciples, the the fruit that you see in the life of someone that you know, hey, this is someone that belongs to the Father, is someone that hears the words of Jesus, receives it, doesn't just immediately reject it, receives it, keeps it, which means at the heart of the soul of the person in the secret parts where no one else is, you know that God's word is authority, that Jesus' words are right and true. It doesn't mean that you follow it perfectly. It's a matter of the heart. You genuinely fight to keep the words of Jesus as the focus of your life and have believed in the word. Someone means your life has been committed to and you are surrendered to Jesus Christ because you believe He is who he says he is. So if you're trying to figure out, hey, how do I know who are Christians and who are not? Well, here's a good start, right? What happens behind the scenes? The identity of the person that's wrapped up in God in the cosmic realm before time even began, but also here on earth. How do you know those who belong to God? It's those who hear, receive, believe, and then keep for the rest of their life the words of Jesus. Very important that he's, He's praying this and he's bringing this identity up because he's praying out loud. He lifts his head up and he prays to the father and obviously the disciples can hear him because they're able to record this later. What do you think's going through their head as they're hearing Jesus pray on their behalf? By the word, this is the Lord's prayer. You say, well, the Lord's prayer is when he said, when he taught the disciples how to pray. No, he taught the disciples how to pray as disciples. Here is the Lord's personal prayer to the Father. John MacArthur said it this way, the Lord's prayer that he gave to the disciples is one that he would never pray because he would never ask for forgiveness of trespasses. And then this is the prayer that we could never pray because we can't ask to be glorified. That's only due to the Son. And so you see this very personal, wonderful, high and lofty message that I feel so underqualified to be able to teach to you today in just a few moments, in a few minutes. He first identifies them, but then he begins to pray specifically for them. And the first thing he does is he prays for this, their preservation. Look at verse 11. Actually, I want you to look at verse nine as we move into 11. He says, I'm praying for them. 
And very emphatically, he says this, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Already he's creating this dichotomy between his disciples and followers and the rest of the world. And he says, I'm not praying for the world. These things of preservation and sanctification are given to my disciples, those who believe in me, those who belong to you. I'm praying for them, interceding for them. And then he specifically prays for something that we all desperately need. And he knew that they would desperately need as well because he's leaving. Verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. I mean, put yourself in Jesus' perspective. You've left the comfort of heaven and the wonders of heaven. Wonders that we could only imagine. Things that are so wonderful that he was willing to come down and endure what he endured to be able to glorify the Father. But he, you're seeing a man now who's like, I've been here for 30-something years away from this wonderful, comforting, beautiful place that's so glorifying and wonderful to, to be in. And I've left it. And I'm, I'm close to being there again. He's excited. But he's also heavy hearted because he knows I'm leaving and they're not. They're going to stay here. And you have this man, God himself, who's able to sympathize with us what it's like to live on planet Earth. He knows what it's like to live here. The demonic oppression that's constantly around us, the suffering and the pain in our bodies, the emotional and mental struggle, the constant fight against temptation, the deterioration of the flesh, everything that comes along with living on planet Earth in a fallen state, Jesus has experienced to the uttermost and he's leaving and he knows his disciples are still here and he's concerned for them and he needs to intercede for them because he knows they're gonna need strength power and help. I know the screen just went out. Let's, you guys just bear with me real quick. Okay. Let's not, let's try not to get distracted. He knows they're going to need some intercession. I'm no longer in the world. They are in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. So he says this, keep them in your name. You know, he said, I've, I manifested your name to these disciples. Name meaning all that God is has been manifested. The person, the relationship that comes with it. He says this, keep them in your name. A, a prayer of preservation, this to, to keep, just like the psalmist who prays as he's in Psalm 121, as he's approaching Jerusalem and he knows he's got, he's got uh, miles and miles and miles of a very dangerous journey. He, he knows in his heart that the, the keeper of Israel will keep his coming out and his his going out and coming in, that he'll keep him, the, the keeper of Israel will not let our foot to be moved. It's this, this idea of preservation, that there's a lot of temptation and a lot of struggle in the world and a lot of cares of the world and pains of the world that could cause us to give up. And so Jesus intercedes for those who are his and he prays and he asks, Father, keep them in your name. Also think about it like this. Keep them in relationship with you. Keep them in their saved, secure state. Notice whose job this is. Notice where the power and the effort is coming from. Who's it coming from? God. And notice who's asking for this to be the case. Let me ask you this. Do you believe when Jesus prays for something, God grants it or doesn't grant it? Do you think the father is going to grant a request for the son? 
you absolutely better believe it. So when God, Jesus himself is interceding for you and he's saying, Father, keep them in your name. Is that going to come true? Keep them, preserve them. They have a life here on earth and it's very treacherous, treacherous and full of tribulation. I know how hard it is. They need help, which is why I'm leaving to send the Holy Spirit for help and comfort, but I'm also interceding for them constantly. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. I think this is important to make this distinction. He's going to pray for unity amongst brothers and sisters later. This request for them being one is still in the context of salvation and security. I want them to, to get, it's almost like he's saying, I want them to, to be one as we are one, that they all together, not one left out of this. I'm speaking in a way where this encompasses every single disciple that not one of them will ever be lost. That they will be kept in your name. They will stay in relationship with you. That, they, that, that in their heart, they will not give up on you and rebel and leave as Judas did. Keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one, while I was with them. Now notice this, the power of Jesus. Look at Jesus, verse 12. While I was with them three something years, I kept them in your name. My power, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them. I kept them in your name. And not one of them has been lost, except for one. Who was it? Maybe your scripture says the son of perdition. Maybe it says destruction. Perdition means destruction. Talking about Judas here, right? So see this context. And then think about the greater context of what we've been learning from Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. For without me, you can do nothing, right? This, this, this conversation that's happening of his ultimate care of them. They have nothing to worry about that everything that they need is going to be wrapped up in him and that everything they need, they can ask the father in his name and he will grant it. And this idea of staying with God, abiding with him, being kept by him, be eternally secure with him, your salvation that was given to you. You know what Peter says about it? Peter says this, an inheritance that's undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven, reserved for you, waiting to be revealed, who by God's power is being guarded through faith. You know, just like me trying to use all my energy to accomplish something, I ultimately fell hard because I'm limited in my strength. God is not limited in his strength and he is the one who will guard and he will keep. The only responsibility, which is why this is like the greatest thing that scripture is trying to tell all humankind to do is to believe and to never give up on that belief, to have faith and keep that faith and guard that faith and let no circumstance take your faith away. And the scripture reveals if you do give up on the faith, just like Judas, who was given as an example for all of those who would say they follow Jesus, that this is the example of someone who actually doesn't belong to me. That when the opportunity comes along, they give up. When the opportunity for riches comes or when the opportunity or the experience of pain comes, they give up because they're the wrong type of soil. The sun scorches them or the weeds choke them, revealing that they may have been connected to me, but they were a branch that was fruitless. They were never truly mine. And why was it like, did Jesus like 
was, was Judas something that Jesus, I like just, I didn't have enough power to do. No, no, this was part of God's plan from the very beginning. He says this, I've lost none except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. This had to happen. Jesus had, to, God did this as an example and he wants us to learn something from Judas. And I think he also wants to learn something from Peter because you have two people who are, who are disciples. One betrays Jesus, the other one denies him, but one is kept, the other is not. Why is that? Because Peter had genuine faith. And even though Peter fell, the restoring, keeping power of God restored him and replenished him back to a place where he was at the feet of Jesus, receiving his mercy and forgiveness. Judas ran off and what did he do? Took his life in his own hands, killed himself because he was overwhelmed with guilt and shame. As a son of destruction, that would be the example to all of us of a life that's not abiding in Christ. Keep them in your name, he prays. But he also prays this. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them, verse 14, because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So he says, keep them in your name and keep them from the evil one. All in the context of he knows that I'm going, but they're staying. I know exactly what they need me to intercede on behalf of them. Verse 13 says, but now I'm coming to you and these things I I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It doesn't mean that they're fulfilling joy in themselves on their own power. It means that here on earth within each individual that is a disciple of Jesus, even though he's not here, we're still in the world. Jesus is speaking these things and he's given us his word and those who believe and receive and keep are the ones who are gonna have the joy of Christ fulfilled in your very self. As a promise and a guarantee to all those who would call upon the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Can you start to see why we need this, why we need to see the prayer of Jesus, why we need to understand these things as we're living on planet earth, waiting to be connected to our God, experiencing all the junk that we're experiencing? Keep them from the evil one. Why? Because believers are the ones who are gonna be hated by the world. Christians are gonna be looked at as the ones that are the problem. That's nothing new from all time. Jesus even said this, that listen, you're in the world because you're not of it. I've drawn you out of it, but I'm keeping you in it. And I want you to be in it to be me in the world. I've come into the world to give you an example of what true, genuine relationship with God looks like and what a true human should be. And I want you to be here and make an impact in the world as I've made. And guess what? The world is going to hate you for it. They hated me, they will hate you. And look what he prays here. Jesus knows this. He says, I'm coming to you. And I speak these things. I speak them in the world because this is where, these, this is where my disciples are, that they may have their joy fulfilled in themselves and they're gonna need it. They're gonna need it while they're on earth trying to live for, for me. I, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You you see how these chosen people of God have been pulled out of the world. They've been given a new name and now their life is being transformed, but they're they're being left, we're being left in the world and we, we desperately need intercession from God and strength to resist 
the hatred that's going to come at us. You see, because the world hates you doesn't mean that something's wrong. It means that the scripture is being fulfilled as being true. If you're here today, and if this thought has ever gone through your mind, Christians are the problem. You ever thought that? You ever thought, man, Christians are what's wrong with the world today? then that right there, that perspective is telling where you are in this cosmic uh, allegiance. You're part of the world because the world hates Christians and the world believes that Christians are the problem and it's only gonna get worse. The more we try to live for Jesus and try to tell people about the glories and the wonder and the salvation that's in Jesus, the more light goes in the world to expose the wrongdoing and the wrong thinking and the wrong ways of the world, the more we're gonna be hated. But those who are his that are still in the world will hear and receive and be drawn out of that. That's the guarantee. That's the hope. The sheep that God has, he needs to secure for his son and they're out there. And there's a guarantee that when the gospel is preached, those who are his will believe and hear, but those who are not his will gnash their teeth, begin to get more mad and more frustrated and more angry at the message of Christianity and Jesus and the Bible. And it will well up in their heart the sense that this, man, Christians are the problem, man. They just need to disappear. It's the heart of evil, the spirit of the antichrist, the spirit of the devil that's in the heart of all that are in the world. Jesus knows this, he experienced it and he knows you are going to experience it. Look at his care for you as he intercedes for you. He knows what you need more than anything is not to be brought out of that situation. He knows you need preservation and so he prays and intercedes for that, that you be kept in the Father's name, that you not give up, but you also be kept from the evil one, that you not give in, that you not give up and that you not give in. Maybe someone here is like, I've given up or I've given in. As long as you still have breath, it's not too late. The message still applies to everyone who would call upon the night. He would hear that repentance and belief in Jesus will bring immediate salvation and relationship with you and you take and receive, don't reject, receive the words of Jesus. Keep them in your heart and you trust him with your life in this world as he wants to use you each and every day. He prays for the preservation. You know, I think it's very interesting where the church or where Christians have gone wrong is we begin to think that, you know, he saved us to just become this community where we isolate ourselves together and we stay away from all the filthy world out there. That thinking is not the thinking of Jesus and not what he's called his people to. He wants us to be in the world. He says, I do not pray that you take them out because the world desperately needs them like they needed me, now I'm commissioning them and sending them into the world and they are to infiltrate and be in every circumstance of life from the politics and government all the way down to the grocery store, over to the factories, in the churches, in the buildings, in the sports, in the schools, wherever. Put my people there to shine light. But my prayer for them and my promise and my power for them is that they would be kept in your name and kept from the evil one. And then he prays for this. He prays for their sanctification. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctified means set apart. 
And Jesus says this word consecrate later. It's the same word. He uses it for himself. Set apart, different, special. God's plan for his people is that that idea of being brought out of the world, out of the world and then put into this realm of the possession of God, of the people who are gonna follow him in his holiness and be holy as he is holy are the sanctified people, the people who have been set apart for a very specific work, just as Jesus was consecrated himself and was set apart for very specific work. Look what he says here. So I have sent them into the world and for their sake, I consecrate myself. I set myself apart. I'm not in the world of the world either. And I have a very specific mission to do and I'm, I'm dedicating myself and consecrating and setting myself apart for this mission that God has given me, that they may be also sanctified in truth. You see, Jesus had to go to the cross. He had to die. He had to become the sacrifice. He had to accomplish the work so all these things could be true for us. Sanctification just means this, your growth as a Christian. Jesus prays, Father, take care of their security. Father, I want them to hear in my prayer that, that they're being kept in your name and being Christians for all time and, and belonging to you is in your power, not their power. And then I also want them to know that while they're here on earth, I will take care of them, but they have a growing process that I'm praying that will happen in their life. Not that they're just saved and they stay there, but the salvation begins this process of the very mission you've prepared for them, which is that you have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You wanna know what is my life supposed to look like and who am I supposed to be? Your identity is wrapped up in the person and the incarnation of Jesus, which means you learn from him. You, learn, you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. You become more aware of how he thinks and what he does and what he was like on planet earth. And Jesus wants to turn you into that. But you know how he does that? He does it through his word. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Notice truth is not an adjective, but it's a noun. Your word is truth. This does, not, this does not set itself up to any other truth. This is the truth that all truth should set itself up against. You take this away and there's nothing but chaos in the world. Everything's relative. Everything's subjective. You do you. Do what's right in your own eyes. Live the way you want to live, but that's not the reality. The reality is God has created everything and he has the truth. And the truth he's left for his people, which is why it's so important that people hear this word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is why this is also the hardest thing to do in your life. You want it in the being of your soul. You want to study it. You want to eat it. You want to sleep it. You want to breathe it. But yet when it comes down to actually getting it, it's like there's a war inside you because the enemy knows it's exactly what you need to grow. It's exactly what's going to help pull you out of that pit. It's exactly what's going to bring joy. It's exactly what's going to conform you to the image of the sun. It's what's going to grow you. It's going to sanctify you. It's going to make you the person that God wants you to be. And you're going to make a difference in this world. And the enemy knows that he hates it. He'll do everything he can to distract you from getting in it. There's a system in this world. Everything belongs to the evil one. Everything that we experience in the world belongs to the evil one. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, all of this from our entertainment to the school system to the governments, all of it has this twisted enemy deception that's in it to try to pull your heart away from obeying this. And you can feel that pull. All of us can. but it's not on us to figure this out. Jesus has interceded and prayed for this preservation and this sanctification in your life. Do you think it's gonna happen? If he prayed for it and asked for it and wants it, you better believe it. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Guarantee, not an if, but he will 
if you genuinely belong to him, heed the warning of Judas. Set apart Christ in your hearts. He needs to be the greatest desire of your life. It's not on you to figure everything out. It's not on you to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. It's not on you to keep yourself saved. He saved you and he will keep you saved. It's not on you to grow yourself. It's on him to grow yourself. But he wants you to focus on a few things that are paramount to those things. Your growth happening and that's being in his word. Letting this, yielding to it, letting it get into your heart and mind. Stop resisting it. Let it in. Growth will happen. God wants his children to know that he loves them and cares for them. And so he's given you Jesus and he's given you to Jesus. And guess what? This isn't the only high priestly prayer of Jesus. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter seven with me. Hebrews chapter seven, Jesus being our high priest, priests pray, they intercede. The same intercession that we're seeing in John 17 is being, is continuing until the day you reach him and see him face to face. Hebrews chapter seven, starting in verse 22, talking about Jesus as the high priest. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Brother, sister, look here. Let me, let me read that again. This is, this is for you. This is about Jesus John 17 doesn't stop. It begins. And listen to the work of your Savior today that's happening on your behalf. Consequently, he is able, power not in you, not in your strength, not in your effort. He is the one who is doing it for you. He is able to save to the othermost. That means all the way to the end through any circumstance. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Those who believe in Jesus and come to God through Jesus and belief and keeping of the word and receiving of the word are the ones who are guaranteed an intercessor who is able to save you and bring your complete salvation into completion. You'll never be lost. If you fall away and you give up and you run away and you deny Christ, it's because you were never his. You were just close. But you still had something deep in your heart you wanted more than him. But to those who genuinely believe you have this guarantee. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Here's what I want to close with. Guys, I, I have only breached the surface of what we could pull out of this passage. I want you to go and meditate on it, read it, personally hear the words of your Savior, pray it on behalf of the disciples. We're not done, we're gonna finish it, but here's what I want you to take away from today, what we've seen and what Jesus has prayed for his disciples. What you can now say, knowing this, here's what you can now say. He chose me. He keeps me saved. He makes me grow. 
This is why the call to all people is to believe and to continue to believe to the day you die. Where are you at? When you hear the prayer of Jesus and you think about Judas, you think about Peter, every single believer gets to the road, gets to the edge, is able to look down and see that chasm of giving up and the chasm of giving in, giving up and giving in. Every single one. But just because you're there, you're falling, maybe you're hanging on by a pinky. Sometimes we do get there, don't we? You still haven't fallen. And the process of sanctification and growth in your life because of the power and the work and his intercession and his responsibility, what he's doing for you if you belong to him, it's a guarantee that he's gonna keep you. You may go up and down, but you're gonna continue to grow. And all of these experiences of life, you'll be able to look back on and see the growth process and you'll be able to help some other young man or woman that's coming along, help them continue in that process and be strength for them, that link in the chain that's helping brothers and sisters grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, be conformed to his image and shine light into the world and the hope that the world desperately needs because the world is dying and the world is deceived. People thinking they're going the right way, but they desperately need a savior. And God has commissioned us now as the disciples whom he's left here, interceding for us, giving us this confidence so we can take every single day, one step at a time, under his power and his grace to make an impact in the world and tell people about the salvation that's in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your patience, patience with me. Um, a passage so lofty, I know that there's probably uh, very important things that I didn't touch on, many different things that we needed to talk about, but today this is what you've given us. I pray that you would lift up our hearts to fill your love for us, how much you care for us. God, to be overcome with our need for you, our heart yearning and longing for you like the deer pants for water not to rely on our own strength because that would just cause us to fall and to give up and to feel miserable. It'll cause all types of damage. This sovereign work is yours alone. You've called us to believe and to take this message and tell others to believe. One beggar who's received the bread trying to point others to where the bread is. God, have your way in us. Be glorified in us. Make us the people you want us to be. Shower us with mercy and grace. And God, Fulfill this prayer in our life and in our church's life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.